Hello, my name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. It was announced yesterday that a suspect had been arrested in the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German. He, uh, his name is Richard Allen. He's a Delphi resident, 50 years old, uh, arrested on two counts of murder. Hammer, we still are left with a lot of questions. We don't know if there's anybody else involved. We don't know if this guy... Uh, was on the police radar for a long time. We don't know how they came into contact with him. We don't know, really know anything about this guy other than he was a uh, pharmacy tech at CVS. Right. So still, I know you um, especially have been pretty vocal about your frustration about the lack of information and details uh, surrounding this case. I'm just relieved that someone has been arrested right. at five-plus years. That was, a, that was a big deal, but still uh, a lot of questions out there and a sealed uh, affidavit as well, which is highly unusual in a case like this. And let me make this clear. I'm not saying that the public has to know everything right away along with the police. It's not what I'm saying at all. I felt like for a long time, the police were holding these press conferences and it was giving people false hope because for so long, there'd be a press conference and it'd be one additional second of audio coverage or something very minute that's really not going to change a lot. Or remember the press conference where the sketch changed. Uh, okay. The, the composite sketch changed. That one I'm Completely. fine with. Things like that where there's actual legit information, but for so long it just felt like they were having these press conferences with very little new information just to try to... I don't know. I guess keep the story alive because they don't want this to turn into a cold case. But I just felt like that was giving the families false hope. So yesterday, this press conference happens. And honestly, this could have just been a statement. This didn't need to be a press conference because we knew everything heading into that. Now, I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I'm the last person in the world that wants this investigation compromised. I've been following the story since it's happened. But why have a press conference yesterday when you just could have released a statement or had Doug Carter, the superintendent, walk up to the microphone? I can't take any questions. We're not taking questions. Here's what we know and he, walk off the he stage. Could have, because Doug Carter, the superintendent at Indiana State Police, is very emotional. I think some sort of televised announcement of an official arrest was warranted. Yes. Uh, the questions afterwards, right. It really didn't make a lot of sense to have a press conference when you weren't going to answer. They We literally learned nothing over the questions and the reporters that were asked. And I uh, think there's a lot of things still in play with this story. Yeah, still in, it's, it's still an open investigation. Right. So how did we get to this point? This is the million dollar question, right? Did somebody rat uh, Richard Allen out? Was it Keegan Klein? Was it that guy that had the fake social media page? I mean, I don't know. A question Was that it a I, family member? Right. A question that I asked Rob Kendall earlier when I jumped on with him, and I'll run it by you here as All well. Right. If, and again, I'm just speculating here, but if Keegan Klein ratted out uh, Richard Allen and told the authorities, yes, this is the guy that did it. I'm not the murderer. Would you be okay with Keegan Klein, a convicted sex offender who had a bunch of child porn, getting a lighter sentence? Um, yeah, again, it's all speculative. It is. It's hypothetical. I don't know how he would have information about the murder without being involved in it. 
And so if that's the case, then then no, I don't think, you know, maybe you get a lighter sentence, but I don't know how you have information about the murder suspect when when you couldn't have been involved in it. To, to answer your question, that's the way these things work, actually. I mean, I mean that's the way, hey, look, I've got some information. I'm going to tell you how I know it. I'm going to tell you how I got it, but I, I need a lighter sentence on this thing that has nothing to do with with the murder charge. So I, I and, and to bring closure, maybe not closure, to bring justice for Abby and Libby, yes, I, I think I'd be okay with some sort of compromise or some sort of deal. Not immunity, not no. blanket immunity. But if he goes from like a 30-year sentence for a bunch of child porn and they take it to down to years. like 10 years, oh, would you be okay with that trade-out? That's the question. And again, we don't know anything yet. No, no. And we might not know anything for a long time. And maybe there are multiple people involved in this who knows uh but the press conference yesterday really didn't need to happen give us a statement tell us why you can't answer questions walk off the stage because it felt like that would have been a better use of everybody's time and resources yesterday now last night the grandmother of libby german her name is becky patty she jumped on with news nation and discussed the arrest here she is talking about how they had hoped that the killer wasn't from Delphi. You always hear this anytime somebody's interviewed after a horrible crime. All the neighbors say, oh, I would have never imagined. So that's kind of where everybody is here right now. But we have always uh, known that that was a possibility. It was also a possibility that he wasn't from around here, I guess, we had just always kind of hoped that he wasn't from around here. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing, Delphi is a small town. That's why I think so many people were saying, I had hoped it wasn't from somebody around here because we all see each other every day. It's probably somebody we've interacted yeah, with. Imagine how just creepy you'd be, creeped out you'd be if you're, I mean, this guy's neighbor, you know, worked with this guy, whatever. And, and yeah, I mean, they did a nationwide search into... Yeah, and that was that was the thing with you know some of those previous press conferences with uh, Superintendent Carter is one of the things he would say is he could be in this room right now, and it wouldn't surprise me. So uh, yeah, the fact that he was uh, out and about and <laughs> mixing in with the locals was was really troubling. The question of whether or not justice has been served was asked to the grandmother of Libby German last night. There's never going to be real justice because you can't ever bring the girls back. But justice for us, the the solace that we have is to know that once the girls' killer is convicted, that the world's a little safer and that he can never hurt somebody else. Again, I want everybody associated with this taken in. And if that's what they're doing with this investigation, then by all means, keep all the information secret. Don't have any press conferences. Just find a way to get this done and get it right. Because I don't care who it is. If it's somebody that had a catfish account, somebody that did the killing, somebody that knew about it, I want all these people going down. And lastly, um, this is something you alluded to earlier, Nige. The fact that this was a guy that was in the neighborhood. He worked at the CVS as part of a pharmacy tech, but he also worked in that area where they develop photos and pictures. This is the grandmother of uh, Libby German. Her name is Becky Patty, talking about how 
her daughter got funeral pictures back from that guy. Um, she uh, had sent some photos up there to be um, developed, and then she was picking out some more, and he's the one that gave them to her, and then Ugh. said, uh, you don't have to pay for those. We'll, we'll take care of that. But I have learned since that that is common for them to do that. Unbelievable. So that's I'm speechless. That's that's just that's crazy. That's everything that we know right now. Not a lot more than yesterday, uh, but we will continue to stay on this story in case there's ever any leaks. Uh, we've been covering this really, Nige, since we took over afternoons yeah. here on WIBC, and uh, we're going to see this thing all the way through. Did you guys have a lot of trick or treaters last night at Casa de Nige? Oh yeah, our neighborhood was full, man. It was uh, it wasn't exactly uh, the it wasn't the weather wasn't. It was okay in terms weather-wise, and it didn't stop everybody. Every, tons of people out and about our neighborhoods. Um, it got tons of kids in it, and, you know, we were near the schools and stuff, so everybody was out. Everybody got big hauls. It was nice you know? to see all the kids out last night because yeah. the rain held off on my side of town, and it was kind of warm, so yeah. kids were out in droves. And A couple, couple years ago, it was sleet and snow. I mean, right. piles, inches of snow and sleet. We, like, made it up and down the court once <laughs> for Halloween, and that was it. But, yeah, last night was pretty – did you break out the – did you do the – do it right yeah but we had the music going had the lights, the lights. playing thriller right. and ghostbusters and all that kind of stuff and i will say this i have done a complete 180 on something you know probably about 10 years ago i would have said hey if you're a high school senior if you're 17 18 years old Hey, you probably don't need to be trick-or-treating. But you know what, Nige? <laughs> I live in Marion County, and if a kid comes to my door and he's not trying to kill somebody or sell drugs, here, take all the candy well, you want. A, that is a big 180. I've done a complete 180 wow. on that. If they just want some candy. Right. Were they polite or the kids are coming up to your door? Uh... Yeah. I, Crystal and my wife, my wife and I noticed this a lot. A lot of happy Halloweens and thank yous without mom and dad having to yell at the kids, you know? <laughs> so it was a good group last night, man. A real good group. Um, so today is the day after Halloween. Yeah, I, have to, I had to take a couple of Advil when I woke up this morning. Some folks uh, still recovering from celebrating Halloween last night. Because the kids are out and about, the moms and the dads are all like standing on the intersections with their coolers of beer and the wagons they pull behind them. Right. Maybe a yeah. Yeti cup with a little something yeah. strong in it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So here's a little tribute to all of those on the struggle bus this morning. Last night was Halloween, but even more scary. Today is the day after Halloween. People waking up with the cruel reality that Halloween fell on a weekday, a work day, a school day. Sleepy, grumpy children who stayed up late yep. eating candy. And parents tired from walking their children around the neighborhood last night and also eating candy. You know you did. Sure, Halloween is fun, but today will seem like the longest day of the year. This message brought to you by people who believe trick-or-treating should always be the Saturday prior to Halloween, unless it falls on a weekend. Oh, that's an interesting debate. Should Halloween trick-or-treating always yeah. be celebrated on a weekend? The answer is no. It's always got to be on the 31st. Of, Come on. All right. If you want the candy, man up and get out there on a weeknight. <laughs> I don't think I'm asking too much. You're going to go out and freeload, and then you're going to complain about what night it's on? Come on. All right, Alan Green, what's up?
whole Elon Musk head twit in charge. Just bought Twitter. Uh, he's saying he might charge users money. He might uh, you might be paying twenty bucks a month for a blue check mark. That's the plan for Twitter. Cue <laughs> up the, the Sarah McLaughlin style tribute for yeah. my blue check mark. Yeah, I don't care if I have a blue check mark or not. Our show, I don't even know how we got them. Our show has one, and then each like I do you my individual Twitter at Nigel now has one. I and don't even know how I got it. Same with my individual one. I don't know, but I'm not paying twenty bucks a month for it. We have them, and OJ doesn't. Let that sink in. <laughs> I don't think OJ's ever going to get a blue check mark. I'm that. telling you, I still think that's a fun prop bet. And James, I'm going to get you in on this conversation here. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen first? Donald Trump's account is activated. Not saying he uses it, but it's activated. Or OJ gets a blue check mark. Oh, Donald Trump's account being <laughs> yeah. activated. Absolutely. I do too. I'm still going OJ because yeah. OJ wants it. OJ's doing videos right now like... Hey, what's up, Twitter world? Where's my blue check mark? Like he he would pay for it. I think that's why I'm going with the juice on this. He, one. Now he would pay for it. Yeah, the juice would pay for it if he could. Uh, some of the reaction. Well, first of all, Elon Musk says, "Hey, we need to pay the bills somehow." That was his <laughs> response. Um, Stephen King, uh, who is a lunatic leftist liberal on Twitter, but uh, he uh, he put this out there: "Quote twenty bucks a month to keep my blue check." F that, they should pay me. If that gets instituted, I'm gone like Enron. It ain't the money, it's the principle of the thing. Um, we, You know who Nate Silver is from 538, political guy? Yes. He, he, he wrote to his three and a half million followers, quote, I'm probably the perfect target for this. Use Twitter a ton, I can afford 20 bucks a month. Not particularly anti-Elon, but my reaction is that I've generated a ton of valuable free content for Twitter over the years, and they can go F themselves. <laughs> so I think that's pretty much the been the universal response. So if you're right. Elon Musk, you're trying to figure out what the hell did the CFO do? Like, what would you say oh, you did here? Yeah, well, he fired him. Right. <laughs> But uh, you're inheriting any, this thing here. Not making like, any money. Right. How do you not make money when hundreds of millions of people use your platform? I don't get it. Like Barstool makes money by getting clicks, but Twitter clearly doesn't do that. How is that possible? Now, this was a tweet from NBC News. They're doing a story about the celebrities, and I'm using that term very loosely, leaving the platform. Quote, Taya Leone, Shonda Rhimes, Alex Winter, and Sarah Bareilles are among the celebrities leaving Twitter after Elon Musk's takeover. I, I know who Taya Leone is. Uh, I've never heard of any of those other people. That Alex Winter was the other dude in Bill and Ted, not Keanu Reeves. <laughs> But the yeah, other, I would have never have come up with that. The blonde hair. I know guy. exactly who you're talking about. I never would have come up with his name, though. That's hilarious. Sarah Bareilles, <laughs> she did that uh, not going to write you a love song thing. Uh, is that, what do you mean? She's a, a musician? Yes. Okay, a songwriter? All right. Ted Cruz uh, quote tweeted that with a response, celebrity defined pretty loosely here. <laughs> <laughs> Taya Leone was hot in Bad Boys. Yeah, she was. With Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Oh, man. Um, today is <laughs> National Men Make Dinner Day. Yeah. Wait, what? Today is National Men Make Dinner oh, Day. I kind of it came out wrong. Like I heard today was National Women Make Your Men Dinner Day. No, no, no. <laughs> the assumption is that men were not taught to make meals like women were, so 
No offense to the many men who do cook up. Well, some good cooks that are guys. Right. I'm not one of them. Definitely not. For those of you who don't, Hammer and Nigel Records have oh. a little tribute for you. We were feeling a little bit of the Spencer Davis group when we put okay. this together. Well, my wife has got a headache, and she asked if I could cook. I've heard of Betty Crocker, but I've never read the book. I thought moving the grill inside was all it really took. Now the kids have run for cover, and the dog's afraid to look. I'm a man, give me some spam and a pan, and I'll fry it up. Yeah! <laughs> Let's go! I'm a man, I'd rather go through the drive through and pick some up. That's it. That's how I make dinner. If I can't grill it, it's going through the drive-thru. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here with a very special guest on the drivehubler.com hotline. The assistant chief of police for the IMPD is Chris Bailey. Thanks so much for the time. You guys launching a big campaign to try to get some more members of the force, more members of IMPD. I want to get to that here in just a moment, but... uh, how are things going, right? I know October wasn't an ideal month in terms of homicides for uh, Indianapolis, but as a whole, how are things going with the IMPD? Well, I'll tell you that we're um, we're frustrated and uh, with these unacceptable numbers that we've seen in October, not just this year, but last year. And you know, our hearts go out to the families that are impacted by these uh, these these murders and homicides and. Uh, they're not numbers to us. They're individuals as I know they are to their, their loved ones. And it's just, it's an unacceptable level of violence. And really what we need is some help. We need help from the community. We really do need some reformation on their end. We've been asking that from the police for three years. And I believe our cops are doing absolutely everything they can uh, to impact this violent crime. We've made record investments in the police department and technology. Uh, we're going after those small number of people we think are responsible for violent crime. And, uh, you know, their work is, is, is paying some dividends, but uh, we still have work to do. And the, and, and the community in this level of violence is unacceptable. Overall, I think things are, are uh, you know, it's been a tough uh, three years. I'll tell you that. Uh, you know, when I took over this job as assistant chief in December 2019, I would have never expected uh, a pandemic or uh, George Floyd or the, 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 the riots or all the things that we've dealt with over the last three years that I think, most administrations that police administrations would, wouldn't see in in a 10-year period. Uh, and But the people that have taken it on the chin the most are our cops. They don't deserve it. Um, they are the best of us, and the cops in Indianapolis uh, are uh, doing their job to, to keep us safe, and that's why we need to do – we need to add more so that they can get a little bit of a break because they've been working, working nonstop, I feel like, for three years. So you're talking about one of the things you guys need help with is is recruiting. You need more officers, and that's why you are kicking off the Why We Serve campaign. Tell us a little bit about this campaign and and what you're looking for. Yeah, we're looking for the uh, best and brightest in not only our community, but uh, surrounding communities and, and surrounding states who want to serve with, in my opinion, the best police department in the country in the best city in the country, a city not without challenges, uh, but one that uh, there are what challenges come opportunities and opportunities for uh, those out in the community that want to serve something bigger than themselves uh, to come serve with us. Not to mention it's one of the few professions that still have a, a pension. We pay you pretty well and you'll get lots of opportunities 
if you play your car right, to do a multitude of things, uh, anywhere from riding a horse to flying a drone. Um, and this is the most money that I've ever uh, seen invested uh, in my 24 years in a recruiting effort. We have been given almost a million dollars in marketing the money alone to, 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 to tell people why IMPD and why the city of Indianapolis and uh, we're going to take full advantage of that. Let's talk about the money a little bit. The City County Council uh, at a recent meeting moved forward with a plan to give increases in pay for officers. And we're not just talking about the officers that have been there a while. We're talking about the folks that are uh, just wanting to sign up and join. Tell us about that. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago that our starting salary for a a new INPD officer was around $39,000 a year. Uh, a couple of years ago, we asked the, the mayor to, to bump that up, uh, and we were able to do that to 51. And then we see what's going on around uh, the Midwest. We see what other cities are doing with their starting pay, so we had, had to ask for another bump. And now our officers starting at almost $62,000 a year. We're offering a $10,000 signing bonus for both new officers and officers that want to lateral to our agency. And if you're going to lateral to our agency, so you've been a police officer for a couple of years in another city in Indiana or somewhere else, you're going to start around $75,000 plus a $10,000 signing bonus. Is and, this, you know, uh, council, officer, let me just jump in here real quick. Uh, is yeah. this an attempt to try to get even with a lot of those other departments that are trying to poke and get some of the IMPD officers away? We ran commercials that, I believe it was Kokomo that was trying to steal IMPD officers. I know some of the other surrounding areas, Carmel and other districts, they're saying, hey, if you don't like what's happening in Indy, if you don't feel like like, you know, the mayor or the prosecutor has your back, come on over here. Is this kind of a way for IMPD to even the playing field a little bit? Yeah, I don't think that, that we've done a good, very good job in the past of just selling how good this police department is. And it's good because of the people that, that work here, not because of anything I'd, I've done or any, any elected official or anything like that. It's because of the men and women that, that put on the uniform and put on the badge and and go to work every single day that makes this a great place. So this is an opportunity, I think, that we've never had before to sell Indianapolis and IMPD. And if that means uh, that an officer uh, sees a greater opportunity to come here from wherever that is, and and they're they're qualified, um, because we're not lowering our standards, um, then, you know, we're we're willing to take them. And, uh, you know, we we have lost officers to smaller agencies who, you know, the, the officers leave for various reasons. They want to different speed in policing they they don't want what comes with an urban um, and and major city police department and you know i wish them all the best uh but we have people that have left that are, that are that are want to come back and we have people that we're losing to other agencies and people on that agency want to come to uh, our police department so i mean it's not always greener uh and it's just a matter of what 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 risk do you want to take what kind of policing do you want to uh to do and uh, what opportunities are you looking for? Because I can tell you, nobody in the state of Indiana, other than maybe the state police, have the amount of opportunities that we do uh, on this police department yeah. and at, at IMPD. Yeah, that's crazy. Officers earning over $75,000 after 24 months paid during the academy. You have an overtime pay for the IMPD health insurance, the pension plan. Uh, we're speaking with Assistant Chief Chris Bailey, part of the Why We Serve campaign, uh, recruiting and retaining uh, great police officers. Where else are you advertising? I mean, I know you're doing it here locally. Are you staying just in the state of Indiana or are you brand out in the other states no we are part of our plan and it's going to be in stages but we're we're in cincinnati right now and oh, louisville wow. plan on being in detroit and uh, st louis 
we'll have some things up in Vincennes and, and Bloomington, Fort Wayne area, um, and all those, uh, so we can, you know, branch out and get as much diversity uh, as we can. I mean, diversity, I mean, everything, right? Uh, young, older, uh, lateral officers, new officers, uh, all those things that, that make a police department great. Um, and so we're, we're all over the place. We're, we're going to be on the radio hopefully soon in the next phase, but you should see some banners on the Internet at the airport. Uh, this is really a once in a career, in my opinion, uh, opportunity for us to not only recruit, but build a brand and sell the image of why IMPD, IMPD is a place to, to work and why the city of Indianapolis is a place to live. Chris, one more thing here before we let you go. Again, we're speaking with the assistant chief of police, Chris Bailey. Um it's an election season, and I see a lot of commercials from certain individuals that say crime is down. Crime is down in Indianapolis. We spoke to Reverend Charles Harrison not even a week ago, and he says it doesn't feel like crime is down. You can show me the numbers, but the people in the community say it doesn't feel like crime is down. How does it feel to the officers? Well, I think it probably feels very similar uh, to to what Reverend Harrison feels and people in our community, the people that are uh, living uh, in you know certain conditions every day may not uh, they don't they don't care about what the numbers say because they're 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 having to live in in, in times where they they hear shots and neighbors and friends and relatives are are being gunned down, and so I I can see that part of. You know, anything that we do as a police department has to also deal with the uh, is the perception of crime. Right. I can give you all the numbers you want, but if you don't feel safe, then that's your perception. So we have to work on that. Uh, But like I said, there's work to do. We still have work to do. Our officers are impacting what they can what they can impact. I think it has played a part in the reductions that we're seeing uh, overall uh, year to year. Still unacceptable numbers, still you know, on pace to be one of the, the, if not the second deadliest, one of the deadliest. But progress is what people want to see. I hope um, uh, we're never going to get to the to the point where there's no crime, right? And there's no there's no murders and there's no non-fatal shootings. I think that's an unrealistic ex- expectation. But we can do better. I mean, non-fatal shootings is, to me is an indicator of where your violent crime is uh, more than than homicides. There's more of those incidents. Those are those keep going down. They've been going down since April of last year. They're not, not as going up as, as as steeply as they were previous years. About fourteen and a half percent down this year. But like I said, a lot of work to do, uh, and you know we're not going to rest on our laurels. We have the best cops. Uh, they're doing fantastic work. I couldn't be more proud of them, and that's why we want to encourage people to join IMPD. So go to joinimpd.indy.gov to learn how you can join the best police department in the country you guys are authorized uh to have about 1800 plus impd officers how many more are you looking for right now like how many are you short yeah 243 wow to be exact uh short um and that's you know we got 100 additional officers as, as an appropriation from the american rescue plan money we we never hit our 1743 uh, and this and frankly this this city this this uh, county has always been short of officers we are an older police department, and people on the last three years have just said, look, <laughs> I've done my 20, 25 years. I'm out. I'm going to collect my pension. It's good. And we as a, a society and as police administrators have to come to the realization that we may only get people for 20 years. And how do we keep them here for those 20 years is what we're trying to work on. And the FOP negotiated a fantastic contract with the city of Indianapolis that we're getting ready to start year three on. And uh, I'm sure they'll build on that in, in coming years to keep pace with what's going on around us. Uh, but we need people to come in the front door 
so that we can give our cops that are here a break so they get opportunities to transfer around this department so they can be promoted and then so they can really live out uh, whatever dream they have as part of their policing uh, future. Assistant Chief Chris Bailey, IMPD. It is the Why We Serve campaign. Uh, one more time with the website. Where can people go to find out more and to, uh, to sign up? Join impd.indy. Assistant Chief Chris Bailey, thank you so much for your time. And as always, be safe and uh, tell the officers, Hammer and Nigel Show, and our listeners support what you guys are doing out there every single day. Appreciate the support and thank you for what you do. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Taylor Swift is the first artist to ever claim all top 10 spots. On the Billboard Hot 100. I feel like that's kind of a weird distinction, though, because back in the day, artists wouldn't release all 10 of their songs at the same time, right? Like the Thriller singles that came off the Michael Jackson Thriller album weren't all released at the exact same time. I mean, what about the album? You're saying the singles came out before the album? The whole album was released. Yeah, but back then, like for charting purposes, like now it's done from downloads. Right. Okay. Okay. I got you. Well, the Billboard, the list blends like. streaming in the United States, radio, airplay, sales, and a bunch of other data. And number one this week is Anti-Hero. That's the lead single from her new album, Midnight's. But you're right. That would be the lead sing- that would be the lead single that would be released to all the radio stations. That would that would be the one that the record company would push for them to play. Right. And then the rest of the nine slots uh, on the Billboard Top 10 were other tracks from the album. So I know we don't have a lot of time here, but I'm trying to think off the top of my head. What other albums had 10 good songs on it? Like, it's hard to think of an album top to bottom that had mm-hmm. 10 really good songs. Accuse Your Illusion 1 and 2. Guns N' Roses had a bunch. License to Ill, The Beastie oh, Boys. yeah. I could listen to that front to back. Hootie. <laughs> That's right. Cracked Rear View. <laughs> I mean, that was a big one that everybody loved. Every Thriller. Year. We mentioned that one. Yeah. Uh, so hit us up on social media at Hammer and Nigel. Albums that had at least 10 listenable songs in honor of Taylor Swift having 10 songs go to number one. Do not go anywhere. We got the top stories of the day coming up next. Colts fans, big trade happening. Go ahead and tell him, Hammer. I'll let you do the uh, honors. Running back Naheem Hines on his way to the Buffalo Bills. So Hines is on his way to Buffalo. Uh, Just announced that we don't know what the Colts are getting in return. Probably a later round draft choice. Today was the NFL trade deadline. So busy day for the Colts. They fired their offensive coordinator. And Naheem Hines, backup running back, Usually used more as a receiver. Uh, now he's going to be catching passes from Josh Allen up in Buffalo. <laughs> I think that might be an upgrade for Hines. <laughs> That's what's considered an upgrade. Uh, yeah, he's going to he's going to be catching passes and scoring touchdowns in the Super Bowl, isn't he? Probably, probably. Hey, he's a talented dude, him, man. man. Uh, so happy trails to Naheem Hines. The countdown is on, my friend. Seven days to go until midterm elections. Are you ready, Nige? Yeah. I can't hear you. Are Give you ready? Give it to me. Give it to Let's me. Let's do some midterm stuff. Polling. Debates. Fetterman. The Eagles are so much better than the Eagles. Midterm stuff. And man, New 
York, depending on which poll you look at, has got a little drama going on with the governor's race. Now, that's as blue of a state as you could possibly imagine, Nige. If you would have asked me, what's the most blue state in America? Probably California, but New York is right there. And depending on which poll you look at, Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin within the margin of error. So I guess my point is, if a state like New York could be in play for the Republicans, what does this mean for what's going to happen to the rest of the country next Tuesday? No, I mean, I've said it before. I said it on stage at night with WIBC. It's not going to be a red wave. It's not going to be a red tsunami. Somebody said it on Twitter. I agree with it. It's going to be uh, like the elevator doors in the movie The Shining opening up <laughs> and the all the blood flowing and go down that <laughs> hotel hallway. That's what it's going to be like. And and Hochul, just such an awful person. Just She creeps me out. She's a weirdo. She was telling people that Jesus wanted them to take the vaccine. <laughs> uh, and and Congressman Zeldin, man, he's I, I've heard him in a bunch of interviews. I really like that guy. So this is going to be a, I mean, if, if he beats her, uh, that's a true referendum on Joe Biden. The Democrats can hang it up. Joe Biden won't be running for president in 2024. I can guarantee that if this happens. And I don't know, there's some parts of me that think that uh, the Democrats might as well sort of wash their hands of 2022 and say, all right, because the economy is going to get worse and they'll have somebody to blame it on in 2024, which will be Republicans. But yeah, you're right. Um, she's a weirdo. Uh, she's a bad governor. And she's the one that said during the debate with Lee Zeldin, why are you so concerned with crime? Why are you concerned with putting people in jail? <laughs> right. I mean, if, paraphrasing there, but that was, was crazy. New York's having a problem with crime, probably worse <laughs> yeah. than anybody in the country. Yeah. And most places, when you do midterm polling, the economy is the number one issue. But for a lot of people in New York, it's the crime. Which, here's another example of why this governor's race could be in play here. During an NBC interview with Al Sharpton, again, this was a real meeting of the minds, <laughs> Kathy Hochul and Al Sharpton here, Hochul says that all those concerns about rising crime in Democrat cities, it's just a conspiracy. Reverend Al, these are master manipulators. They have this conspiracy going all across America to try and convince people <laughs> that in Democratic states they're not as safe. Well, guess what? Uh -huh. They're also not only election deniers, they're data deniers. Okay. Well, I mean, we just had 31 homicides in 31 days in this Democrat city. Uh, so who's? what are you talking about? Philadelphia it's, has been renamed Philadelphia. Yeah, Chicago. Uh, it's just awful. New Orleans, um, places like that are just are through the roof. San Francisco got so bad, their woke DA, their district attorney, was too progressive for San Francisco, and they recalled yeah. him. Imagine being too woke for Frisco. Well, you, you know, the guy in Philadelphia, Krasner, the uh, woke Soros-installed prosecutor, saying it's racist if you think that the crime is high in Democrat-led cities. That's right. You're a racist. It's racism if, if that's your complaint. Meanwhile, in uh, the Pennsylvania Senate race, another key battleground that will decide the balance of power in the Senate. There's really four states that are going to decide who controls the Senate. It's Pennsylvania, it's Georgia, it's Arizona, and it's Nevada. Those are the four that I think are going to really be the deciders. Fetterman, 
did an interview with CNN. As Tucker calls him Fetter Neck. <laughs> Fetter Neck <laughs> spoke with uh, CNN. I think it was Jake Tapper. Take a listen to this very well thought out answer on inflation. What do you think the biggest cause of inflation is? And, and should the Biden administration be doing more? I, I just do. I, I think the, uh, that simply is also we have this talk about the trillions in, in massive tax uh, tax uh, cuts to the corporate uh, tax uh, structure as well. True, you know, trillions of dollars that have added to the deficit, and and now they still want to support those as well. True. I think in terms of being very serious about uh, addressing inflation is is making sure that those rates are brought back into a line with what they they should have been, uh, where they're able to uh, fight uh, the, the, the deficit. So that was Don Lamon speaking I with Fetterman. I didn't understand a word he said. Lamon was just looking at him like like he was like blinking his eyes like a South Park character. And again, imagine being too dumb for Don Lamon. <laughs> so let me read this to you, Nige, because I know oh, you said you had a hard time yeah, understanding what Fetterman was trying to say. Okay. Let me see if we can make sense of this. When asked about inflation, Fetterman says, quote, addressing inflation is making sure that those rates are brought back into a line with what they said should have been able to fight the deficit. Nope. Got it. That didn't do anything for me. Nope, nope. All right. I mean, the reason for inflation is government spending and uh, Biden's anti-energy policies. No question about it. It's really not that complicated. You spent way too much money. You give too much money away. Ukraine's got billions of our, our dollars, and it's not stopping it. They've got an open, they've got a blank check. Right. It's like a direct deposit payment. It's like, you know, we're a boss and an employer. Like every, you know, 10th and the 25th, there's going to be a deposit made. Uh, meanwhile, in Georgia, another battleground state, I thought this was amazing. Raphael Warnock, who's running for the Senate, along with Herschel Walker, basically threw <laughs> gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams' whole platform right under the bus. Listen to this. Warnock was uh, speaking to his church about record voter turnout. Don't mute your own voice. I thank God for this record voter turnout, but don't you let up. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. I thought there's a lot of voter suppression going on in Georgia, according to Stacey Abrams. That's her whole campaign, voter suppression. But I just heard Raphael Warnock say record voter turnout. Can I hear that one more time, please? Don't mute your own voice. I thank God for this record voter turnout, but don't you let up. Now, keep in mind, though, <laughs> before we do a victory lap for Warnock calling out record turnout just last year, he said Georgia's voting laws were, quote, Jim Crow in new clothes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, you're going to need an ID if you want to vote. Uh, otherwise, you support Jim Crow laws in new clothes. You're Jim Crow in uh, Abercrombie and Fitch clothing. What a miracle in Georgia. In <laughs> less than a year, it went from Jim Crow in new clothes to hot damn, everybody's coming out to vote. What a shocker. It's almost like Warnock just says stuff to make people vote for him. Interesting. Now, keep this in mind. Talking about Abrams, Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke, both running to be governors in their state. Neither one of them has led in a single poll this entire race. Combined, they have raised and will spend around $150 million oh. this year. Wow. Combined? 
150 mil? The money they've raised and the money they are going to spend when you add up Beto and Stacey Abrams over 150 million. Did you see that photo on Twitter of Will Ferrell campaigning with Beto O'Rourke in Texas? I don't want to. Oh, yeah. That kind of, that was disappointing. Oh, man. Will Ferrell stumping for Beta. Well, he's a California guy, man. He's out there with all the lefties. He's got to do the right thing so he gets cast in Talladega Nights 2, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Hammer, how do we play? Is this anything? I will run some stories by you. You will be the one that breaks these stories down. You're going to weigh out the pros and cons, and you will give us a verdict. Is the story in question anything or not? Easy enough. We start with this. Is this anything? Drivers on the 405 out in L.A. witnessed a man in a wheelchair almost stop traffic totally on one of the busiest freeways in the country. I've been on it. Here's a a little bit of audio from the video when the man is slowly wheeling down the freeway as cars are zooming by. You can hear how loud and busy the freeway is. Yeah, that's something. I feel bad for the guy. It happened at night, uh, and it wasn't a motorized wheelchair either. And lucky for this guy, there was a couple of cars behind him that went slow and waited till the uh, highway patrol got there. He's elderly. He's okay. And again, I, I felt sorry for the guy. I don't know what his mental state is, how he happened to be there. But then I started thinking, holy crap, do you know how strong you have to be? How much endurance you have to have to propel yourself on a manual wheelchair up an interstate ramp to get on the 405? He's probably in better shape than you and I combined. Uh, now, while I feel sorry for him, I don't know what an elderly guy's doing on a wheelchair in the middle of rush hour, uh, or I guess this was at night, but still, that traffic never slows down on that road, that 405. No. But man, you got to be a strong MFer. <laughs> you got to have some big arms. You got to have some endurance to uh, do that. Maybe I, uh, maybe that's my new ro- workout. Buy, just, buy a used wheelchair and uh, hop on 465 and take it for a loop. I just got a text message. The guy in the wheelchair just blew past Ryan Kelly. Well, that's that's uncalled oh my for. Goodness that's that's uncalled for. <laughs> Is this anything? A teenager missed her bus, so she woke up her dad to take her to school. Then on the way, she told her dad that she forgot her backpack. So you got a good old fashioned dad rant coming here, and it was all recorded. There is no way in hell I'm turning this car around. Do you understand me? You better grab a rock and a chisel before you walk into that classroom because that's what you're going to be using to take notes. You got to get your head out of your ass and instead of focusing on looking like a traffic cone in the morning, you should be worried about getting on the bus in time instead of waking me up to take your sorry ass to school at 6 a.m. Thank you. Shut up. Wow. (laughs) Goodness. Ah, he's a jerk. What an a-hole. Would you ever speak to your daughter? I mean, you don't have a daughter. I would never talk to my daughter that way. Uh, Kind of an Alec Baldwin feel to it. Yeah. You're a rude, worthless little pig. Uh, But I didn't like that. No. There's a difference between chewing out a little bit and then just going too far, maybe. Uh, And again, with these things... I don't know if it's staged. You never know if it's a bit or something that people are trying to just get clicks on TikTok. 
But that sucked. Yeah, screw him. And that whole and, traffic you know, cone thing was because in the video, the girl has like an orange, orange shirt, on. shirt on. The line about, what do he say, a, a hammer and a chisel or something like that to take notes? Right. <laughs> Fine, then she's going to fail the class then. Like, so yeah, we got well, an hey, option here. I, I don't want to hear any crap if I get a bad grade because you wouldn't let me go back and get my pen and paper. I got news for you, Dad. Welcome to fatherhood. Sometimes you got to do stuff you don't want to do for your kids. My kids missed the bus before. I've had to do that before. I didn't say shut up when they said thank you as they were getting out the door. If they would have said halfway that. to school, yeah, you need to go back because I forgot something. You can get a little irritated. I get that. But the way you're doing that, you are almost yeah, guaranteeing she's going to be on the pole when she's 18 years old. <laughs> she's going to hate her dad. She's going to resent her dad. And people like Nigel will put dollars in the panties of that girl just because you didn't want to go get the pen and the paper. Congratulations. Is this anything? Uh -huh. A video has gone viral of a white woman giving a cringeworthy wedding speech to a mixed race bride and groom. Oh boy. Hi, I'm Shannon. I don't quite know Anthony that well, but Tracy talked about you like nonstop. <laughs> Seriously. And she'd be like, I mean, we knew that. I'm like, I don't care. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. You guys are so cute together. Tell death to his heart, Anthony. Seriously. You better take care of my girl. Because if you don't, I know where you live. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to be racist, you guys. I'm just saying, okay? I'm going to be racist, okay? No. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Of course, you guys are going to get the like animation comments. Um, no, seriously. You, you guys are the Bless you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I understood half of that, but she sounded like an idiot. Like, even I couldn't understand, like, I didn't have to understand. I heard something about racist or being racist or something like that, but uh, that just, yeah, that sounded awful. I mean, these people that make these speeches, it's not about you. Oh, preach, brother, preach. You know, these bridesmaids. It, it, that the wedding day it's not about it's it has nothing to do with you just get up there make a two-minute speech about how you think this is an awesome couple couple love you guys i mean i could make the speech for right off the top of my head not bring up the fact that she's Testify. a white girl and he's a, he's a black guy <laughs> that's that was painfully awkward i've probably dj'd close to 500 weddings in my life and the amount of speeches where the bridesmaid or even the groomsmen want to make it about themselves it's unbelievable try to do a stand-up routine or some sort of roast right like that's the, not the time if it's a frat brother a frat bro they say something really inappropriate like grandma sitting right yeah. there in the front row but bridesmaids are the worst because it's usually a sister or some best friend who can't handle for five minutes that it's not about her <laughs> and she has to speak for 40 minutes <laughs> while everybody else is like shut up so we can get the party going i've seen it a million times and this brings us to great moments in wedding toast history oh. this is uh mitch from the movie old school <laughs> true love is hard to find sometimes you think you have true love and then you catch the early flight home from san diego and a couple of nude people jump out of your bathroom blindfolded like a god <laughs> magic show ready to double team your girlfriend and it stops <laughs> it stops, it stops it right, right there, there.
And it continues right here because I think what my friend Mitch is trying to say is that true love is blind. That's Yeah, that's pretty good. Good save yeah. by Vince Vaughn there. Uh, great moments in wedding toast history. Steve Buscemi in The Wedding Singer. Remember that time in Puerto Rico when we picked up those two... Uh, well, I guess they were prostitutes, but I don't remember paying. <laughs> okay, how about that? How about that? Yeah, how about that? I'm a person too, Pop. I'm a person too, Pop. Forgot about that. You're a moron. <laughs> it's the Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is right over there. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show, and we have a special guest on the DriveHealer.com hotline. Lael Hill is with us and the Indiana Coalition for Crime Victims' Rights. Lael, of course, the biggest story here in Indy, one of the biggest stories across the country when it comes to crime is the arrest and the Delphi killings. Uh, Nigel covered this yesterday. I was off, but I was still following this very closely at home. Before we get into uh, the Coalition for Crime Victims' Rights, were you okay with the little amount of information that came out of that press conference? Hi, yeah. Thanks um, Thanks for having me on this show. My thoughts go out to not just Delphi, but all victims of this crime. Um, and to answer your question, as a victim advocate, I am 100% okay with the minimal information. Um, it, this is because this is incredibly important for the process. I always tell people that defense attorneys um, who would likely listen to the press conference are very good at what they do. And so the, the process and information has to be protected so that the number one thing, the number one goal is not just to secure a conviction through the criminal justice process, but also if and when the defendant appeals the conviction, the appellate court and the Supreme Court rule in favor of the state. So sometimes when people, when law enforcement, they can make mistakes and give out information that could hurt the process and the trial. And so when I see a press conference that is releasing limited information, I think that's good. I want to use the Scott Peterson case, for example, on this. When Fresno law enforcement officers did a press conference, they actually gave Scott Peterson's alibi before Lacey Peterson's body was found. And so Scott Peterson's attorneys now are saying, hey, listen, the real killers just told the public where I was at. And so they dumped her body, allegedly dumped her body uh, where I was at. And so because of that press conference, Scott Peterson won his appeal. And could have his conviction overturned. So law enforcement really has to get it right, not just the first time, but they have to get it right so the defendant and the accused um, will not win an appeal as well. That's real justice. So I do want to say, I, I based on the, some of the victim's statements, I feel like they're being very informed through the process, the, the families that were directly impacted, and that's very important. So as long as they're getting all the information they need, it's really important that the general public be patient and wait. The truth will come out, but the most important thing is making sure that um, the person and people responsible for this are locked up for good, because there could be other uh, defendants in right. this crime as well. Lael Hill with the Indiana Coalition for Crime Victims Rights here on the Hammer Nigel Show. Tell uh, tell people that are listening right now a little bit about your background and exactly what the uh, Indiana Coalition for Crime Victims Rights is. 
sure. Yeah. Thanks again so much for having Absolutely. us. Crime is happening every day in our community, and it impacts victims and their families for the rest of their life. I uh, was a victim advocate for a national organization. I've been trained in uh, victim advocacy, victim uh, notification, uh, court accompaniment, going to court with victims. And also, I was one of the few advocates in the country trained to review autopsy photos with uh, parents of murdered children. Mm. If that- something that they wanted to do uh we were able to take care of that and and um um, basically try to give control back to the victims when things are out of control they're not in control of the criminal justice process so very important that they have a victim advocate that can essentially stick up for their rights so i i worked for um a, a, a national organization started out working with victims of drunk driving and drug driving and traffic crimes and what i found was that while Indiana adopted victims' rights, not only within statute, but within the Indiana uh, Constitution, they didn't really set up a way to enforce victims' rights. So um, sometimes victims' rights are violated. It's because of limited resources within the prosecutor's office. Sometimes they don't have a victim advocate. And so it's really important that our organization steps in and says, well, wait a minute. You know, these victims have a right to confer with the prosecutor, and um, and we do that. And the Indiana Coalition for Crime Victims' Rights is the first statewide nonprofit organization to go into underserved communities that do not utilize a victim advocate, like Carroll County, and say, we, we are here for victims. We will help them um, in an unbiased way, right? We don't work for the state. Victims are our first priority, and we will connect them with resources. We will be a liaison between them and law enforcement. We will go to them. We will go to court with them, and then we will notify them of what their rights are. Um, And then lastly, we'll help them apply for crime victim compensation, because a lot of people don't know that as well, that they can apply for funds to help with funeral costs and therapy. So, Lael, take us through, like, what would happen? Let's say somebody is listening right now that has lost a loved one to crime. It was just a couple weeks ago we had the father of one of the FedEx victims in studio with us. Mm -hmm. Of course, now these Delphi families are going through this process as well. Uh, So when something horrific like this happens, take us through briefly the process. What do you guys do, and how do they get the ball rolling? Sure. Yeah. So there's a couple things. Once the crime happens, um, and, and depending on the crime, certain crimes are harder to prosecute, especially with sexual assault, for example, homicide, things like that. What we do is before an arrest is we really just want to do that crisis intervention piece. We want to make sure that Uh, The victims uh, are connected to emergency uh, trauma therapists as soon as possible. In Indianapolis, we have Legacy House that can offer that trauma-informed therapy to victims um, from through a criminal justice lens. We want to make sure that they have food and shelter, that their rent and basic needs are going to be provided while they go through this trauma. We also want to make sure that they have a protective order in place if that's needed to protect them from anyone that has not been arrested yet we want to assess for safety and then we want to go into educating them about the criminal justice process so before an arrest we we oftentimes explain to victims that investigations can take a long time um i used to for traffic crimes in indiana i used to say about up to three years so wow um, 
Yeah, it, it can take a long time to collect all the evidence needed to secure a conviction. Because think about all a defense attorney has to do is create one little inkling of doubt to a jury. So they want to make sure, law enforcement wants to make sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed before they present that to the prosecutor. And that can take some time. And so from a non from an unbiased community agency perspective, we are not, we don't work for the state. We don't work for the prosecutors. We're able to confirm with victims that this is common to take a long time. I can imagine what um, it's like for you as an advocate to maybe have to sit down with um you know, parents of a, a murdered child, it just, it's fresh and it just happened. And, and, and what kind of things do you, do you say to them and, and what kind of counsel do you give them? It's got to be a highly just volatile and emotional time with something like that. You mentioned that you're trained in sitting down and actually looking at uh, autopsy photos with the parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really, that is an excellent question, and I'm so glad you asked that because it's the number one question that I get. I kind of go, you know, I, I felt as a mom myself, if we can assume the worst thing, our worst nightmare is the, the loss of a child, then we can assume the number one, one worst thing to go through is not just the loss of a child, but the loss of a child from a violent crime and then having to go through the criminal justice system. I've I've been passionate about this. John Walsh is my hero. When I was a little kid, John yeah. Walsh was a hero. Um, I just thought he was amazing, and he took his um, victimization and his tragedy and turned it into strength to help others, and I've always been inspired by that. And as a mom um, and a social worker, really, I've seen a need for it. And as a mom, I thought it was a, a, an essential service to provide for victims. What I do at first is it's so important to always avoid saying you understand because you do not understand what these victims are going through. You can't possibly understand what it's like or how you would react until you become a parent of a murdered children. So the first thing that I do that this is very important is I connect them to peer support. I connect them to other parents of murdered children. There's a national organization out there uh, called Parents of Murdered Children. That's actually the name of the organization. Um, Victims can find information on that at parentsandmurderchildren.org. And they are all uh, survivors and families impacted by homicide. They have a national conference every year. So what I tell victims is that I cannot understand this pain, but I'm going to connect you uh, to Sherry Nolan over in Ohio who lost her daughter to homicide. That's amazing. It's amazing they can have that level of comfort and you can provide that to them. Uh, Lael, one more time here. If somebody wants more information on the Indiana Coalition for Crime Victims' Rights, where can they go? Sure, absolutely. Well, we're on Facebook. We have a lot of educational videos on Facebook about victims' rights. Um, so you can go visit us on Facebook. Just type in the search bar, Indiana Victim, Indiana Coalition for Victims' Rights. And we're on online at indianavictimsrights.org. You can reach out to us, and we'll connect anyone in need um, to that peer support, crisis response services, and uh, criminal court advocacy. Lael Hill with the Indiana Coalition for Victims' Rights. Lael, thank you so much for joining us we appreciate your time okay thank you guys so much you guys have a good day it's the hammer and nigel show are you on the uh, next door app 
I'm a Citizens app okay, guy. Okay, so, so Citizens app next door app, they're, they're like a Facebook for like, but for neighborhoods, right? Right. And this one from this chick that lives in a sort of a high-end uh, neighborhood in Zionsville posted this last night. For It's not a neighborhood I live in, trust me. Uh, but she posted... Just to let everybody know, she gives her address. She goes, just to let everybody know, we will not be participating in trick-or-treating tonight because we have COVID. We will also post a sign on the door. Thank you. <laughs> just turn your lights off. Turn your light off and <laughs> shut up. Nobody cares if we had COVID or not. I'm trying to get people to feel sorry for you. Turn your light off. It's pretty much universally known. <laughs> yeah, the lights are off. Don't the lights the are off. You don't go knock on the door. Now that I've seen that, I would have had a group of kids going up and knocking on the door anyway. Hey, get your sick asses up. I got want some candy out here. Oh, the virtue signaling. Um, so this is going viral around social media. And I don't know who put this together, but anytime somebody can crap on James Corden, I'm absolutely for it. The late night talk show host? I just don't find you know, that like, dude funny yeah. at all. The car karaoke guy fat dude with the accent and from what we hear he's a pretty horrible customer to go into a restaurant too oh, yeah wasn't that the story yeah, out of like the uh, new york post or something so <laughs> i guess on his show he ripped off a joke from ricky gervais now there's nothing worse than getting ripped off we know this nige we get ripped off all the time sure uh, sometimes it's from people in this building um <laughs> but there's nothing worse than getting ripped off and <laughs> Ricky Gervais did the joke about guitar lessons a long time ago, and it sounds like James Corden tried to play it off as his own. And again, I don't know who put this together, but listen to this mashup of the same joke. Because if someone puts up a poster in a town square that says, guitar lessons available. That's like going into a town square, seeing a big notice board, and there's a notice, guitar lessons. Like, you don't get people in the town go, I don't want to play the guitar! And you go, but I don't f***ing want guitar lessons. Well, then that sign wasn't for you. It was for somebody else. You don't have to get mad about all of it. Fine, it's not for you then. Just walk away. Wow. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there's no parallel thinking excuse there. He ripped that off, for That's sure. That's a total hijack of the joke. But it happens to the best of them. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. David DePepe. You know that name, Hammer? DePepe Le Pew? De DePepe Le Pew. That's a guy that uh, broke into uh, Nancy Pelosi's house looking for her. She wasn't there and uh, attacked her husband instead. Lots of questions still surrounding this. Lots of underwear. Uh, lots of underwear. He was in his underwear. There's a hammer involved. I, I, I think for the most part, for the, the, most of the things I've read about this is I don't think there's any some some sort of cover up or some sort of weird angle to this. This guy was severely well, of course mentally not. The handicapped. first rule of Underwear Hammer Fight Club yeah. is you do not talk about Underwear <laughs> Hammer Fight Club, Nige. Of course you're not going to find any information. So, Du Pepe, Du Pepe, Du Pepe turns out is in this country illegally. Oh no way. And oh, that's well, according I, I, to I, uh, Fox and uh, Bill Malugin, who covers the border. Expecting AOC to call for blanket uh, amnesty for this guy immediately. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen no? or not, but we do know what's going to happen next. Everybody's going to blame each other for this thing. Whoopi Goldberg. She's blaming 
Fox News for what happened to Nancy Pelosi's husband. Some of this is on your hands. Some of this is on your hands. You know, you you like to call people out. I'm calling you all out. Mm -hmm. Stop with the, 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 that side is not good. Because this is what it, this is what it puts out there. It tells people that you think it's okay to do this. Stop doing it. Her argument is that the rhetoric you hear from Fox News is what fired up this lunatic oh. to where he wanted to break the window and go hurt yeah. Nancy Pelosi, who wasn't there, what, and her husband. What rhetoric were the people that um, were protesting outside the Supreme Court justices' houses listening to? What kind of rhetoric was the guy that wanted to assassinate Kavanaugh? What kind of rhetoric was the guy listening to that shot up uh, Scalise in the baseball game. What kind of rhetoric uh, was the guy that attacked Lee Zeldin, who's running for governor in New York? I wonder what kind of rhetoric they were listening to. This guy that she's talking about is crazy, a mentally handicapped goon who has a rec- long record. I've read the article, San Francisco article, uh, San Francisco Chronicle, about this guy as just a, you know, they talked to his ex-girlfriend, and he's a mental patient. Mental if you look at the photos of where this guy lives, it's like every troll on social media, there's like, you know, every single flag, there's the Black Lives Matter, there's every single virtue signally thing there, which is odd for a guy that is being painted as this Donald Trump, red MAGA, conservative QAnon type of dude. I mean, maybe, just maybe... He's just a bat crap crazy lunatic. Maybe there's a little Democrat there. Maybe there's a little Republican there. Maybe he's just a lunatic. And I think that's fair to say. Now, you heard what Whoopi Goldberg had to say. Tucker Carlson, he had another viewpoint. Highly unsurprising thing about David DePappy. He's also an illegal alien. Today, Fox's Bill Malugin learned that Tepapi, who was originally from Canada, has long overstayed his visa. So he is currently in this country illegally. So to restate, the perpetrator in this violent crime against Paul Pelosi is a mentally ill, drug-addicted, illegal alien nudist who takes hallucinogens and lives in a hippie school bus in Berkeley with a BLM banner and a pride flag out front. So take those uncontested facts and let them rattle around your brain for a moment until a recognizable pattern emerges. What does this sound like to you? If you guessed, this is obviously a textbook case of homegrown right-wing extremism, well, then obviously you've been watching a lot of cable news today. Exactly. You don't find a lot of QAnon or whatever they want to call this guy that have the Black Lives Matter and the gay pride flags hanging up. You, It's just an interesting, interesting dynamic here. Maybe, just maybe, the proper thing is to let all the facts come out and then make your decision. Everybody wants to rush to judge so quickly now. It's crazy. So the Atlantic, how would you describe the publication, the Atlantic? Well, the the Atlantic is a crazy far left outlet owned by Steve Jobs, widow who side note spent COVID on a yacht in the French Riviera while my grandpa died alone in a hospital and we weren't allowed to visit him. That's what the Atlantic is. And that's who owns the Atlantic. Okay. They are a super left-leaning publication, and they've got an opinion piece. Their writer, Emily Oster, says, let's declare a pandemic amnesty. Ah! Oster goes on to say, quote, we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. Dr. Evil, your thoughts? 
How about news? <laughs> so basically, by the way, did you like my tribute to Kyle Wells, who is uh, used to be our producer right there? Ha! I'm going to have to do that from now on. Basically, this article says we should f forgive the COVID tyrants because, well, we didn't know. We didn't know, except I don't see an apology from the Covidians. Instead, we get gaslighting from guys like Fauci about, you know, I didn't I didn't tell anybody to shut down schools or businesses. Well, no, no. I mean, so the crux of the article is we didn't know. Uh, but But there's a lot of stuff you did know. Like, you knew COVID wasn't a threat to kids and they weren't vectors of spreading the disease but she kept them out of school and graduations and classrooms uh, so no apologies there I, I didn't see apologies anywhere in this article you, you you knew the most at risk were elderly people with multiple comorbidities yet you shoved positive patients back into nursing homes and then tried to cover it up you knew there was no risk of transmission outdoors but yet you implement stay-at-home orders and then shame people protesting the lockdowns and then went and praised and encouraged BLM and Antifa parties out in the streets during the summer of love in 2020. So I, I don't want to hear about it, you know? I don't These hear lunatics have to pay for this. No, no amnesty is going to happen. No deal is going to happen here. There's going to be a reckoning, and it's going to be in seven days at the ballot box. People are going to angry vote because moms who were taking their kids to the park were threatened to be locked in sure. jail. Yeah. If you even thought about going outside, but yet Gretchen Whitmer was allowed to do whatever she wanted, different rules for different people, no, that can't happen. We reject your amnesty and vote every one of these people out. You knew six feet apart was a made-up figure. They knew that vaccines didn't stop the spread of infection, and they fired uh, first responders, police officers, nurses. They fired people, lost their livelihoods, and they knew damn well that vaccines didn't do what they were advertised. You made our kids do. stay home, and you fired people. Even long after we kind of had a handle of what this virus was all about, no, 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 no. No amnesty, no deal. You people deserve to be fired, and a reckoning is coming in seven days from now, and I can't wait for it. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. going to go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on an old friend. Jay Young is an oil and gas expert out of Texas. Biden threw a temper tantrum uh, yesterday. We're going to ask Jay all about it. Jay, how are you, man? Nice to have you back. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing really well, man. Although I'm not liking this thing about the strategic petroleum reserves and the depletion of those. I'm not liking the fact that uh, Biden is attacking the oil and gas companies for their excess profits when most of them are like the these are, you know, mom and pop outfits uh, here locally. Tell me what you think about the idea of Joe Biden threatening to pursue higher taxes on oil companies if they don't lower their gas prices yeah well they a they don't set the price for gasoline prices you know we, we don't sit around in some room and go oh yeah hey by the way <laughs> let's just let's just jack the price up man <laughs> we can do it we can afford it let's no that, that isn't up to us it's all about supply and demand the more the more demand you have the less, the less supply you have the more supply you have the less demand it's all economics go to economics 101 that that's where, I mean, that's, that's like that's like cocoa, that's like wheat, that's like any commodity out there is all about supply and demand, and that's where the price is. It's all, it's all that. Now, what Biden should be mad at 
in my opinion, he shouldn't be mad at all these oil and gas companies making all this money. What, what, he, what he should be mad at is what they're doing with the money. Okay? Big difference, right? Like, first quarter of this year, Exxon made $6 billion in profit. They wow. spent $10 billion buying back their stock. Because before, they would they would go in and they would start um, – they would start drilling with that money, right? They take that six billion dollars and they would buy the stock back, or I'm sorry, not not buy their stock back. They would they would go in and start drilling for new wells. They would deploy that capital. They would start drilling new wells. They'd up their rig count. They would start drilling new wells because what would happen then would be that people that that, that you would have more production because you were drilling more wells. You would have more production. And then when your production over overcame your supply, your prices went down. But this time, that's not happening. It's happening slower. And I mean, I, I, I say that because you know I was on a on a um, a call yesterday, and it's it's different from today and yesterday because ESG came out last night and said, well, not ESG, but the people that are putting all this money in ESG, they're coming back now and they're saying. Wait a minute! This doesn't make economic sense. We're 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 not we're not making any money off this ESG thought, so we're going to change our thought pattern about ESG. What's ESG? So, ESG is is a um, social governance. It's an environmental social governance. It's about yeah. people that come out and say, "Hey, we don't want oil. We want we want gas. We want we want battery operated cars." We don't want all this oil, you know, all that stuff. Well, talk so, talk about the supply and demand. You mentioned supply and demand of yeah. gas and oil. What, what, what's happening now is we need 20 million barrels a day in the United States. Every day. We need 20 million barrels. We produce 13. So we need 7 million barrels from other countries. To, we import 7 million barrels a day. Now, what I'm talking about with the Strategic Reserve and... OPEC, we just lost that million barrels a day from from strategic reserves. OPEC just cut us by two million barrels a day. That's three million barrels a day. We're going to be looking for oil after this election, and we're not going to have it. We're not going to have the oil that we need. And when 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 you need it, when the supply says we don't have it and demand is up, prices are going to skyrocket. That's what I think is going to happen between now and the end of the year is you're going to have a lot of prices that are going to go up, and you're not going to have – because you don't have the oil. If you didn't have the oil, if you don't have the oil when you need it, prices are going to go up. It's all about supply and demand, economics 101. It's not Biden. Biden, I know you think that it's oil and gas company setting the price. No, sir. That's not what it is. It's all about supply and demand. But what you need to be, Biden, you need to be telling people, these oil and gas companies that are making all this money, hey – with all that money, go drill for oil and gas because you kept them from drilling oil and gas wells. Exactly. Right, you said right. no to oil and gas. Fossil fuels is a bad thing. We don't want you to drill for oil and gas. That's what problem we're having right now. Hey, Jay, one of the things that I see when I scroll through social media and you read stories online is the situation with diesel gas. So you've talked a little bit about what's happening with the strategic reserve. Let's get a little bit more specific here. How bad is the situation with diesel right now? It's bad, and, and it could get worse, and we could have a really short supply of diesel in the market. And if we do... We're going to have a problem because everything that diesel trucks 
that, that transport your different types of, of, you know, everything, right? I mean, I'm at a restaurant right now. I'm getting ready to eat. Well, they don't grow all this chickens and all that stuff in the back. It's all transported. So when you need diesel and you don't have it, and it's made from a different kind of oil, like the Keystone Pipeline that Biden put a, a Nixon 86 it back in the day, you know, well, if he wouldn't have done that, we could have got that oil out of Canada, which makes which makes good economic sense, and it makes oil that makes diesel. A lot of oil wells that we have, and we have oil, we have oil wells all across the United States, me and my partners do. And when we you produce different types of oil in different different states, it's not all just oil that comes out of the ground like Jed Clampett. It's all different <laughs> kinds of oil. That oil out of Canada is what we needed. That two million barrels a day is what we needed, and we don't have it. And that's one of the problems we're short on diesel right now. I mean, that's what happened as soon as Biden took office. That executive order that he signed immediately crushed the pipelines, the drilling, the federal leases. And and I feel like this is one of the biggest reasons why we're in this situation right now. Absolutely. And wait till after the election, because he's tried to band-aid this thing with a with a with a band-aid on a bullet wound he's tried to you know be okay with this and try to get gasoline prices down so you know prices will go down on gasoline hopefully in the next couple of days so he can he can get his uh, democratic congress you know so it, that, that's what it, that's what, that's his goal well wait till the musical chair stops in november into november and december when we need that oil and we don't have it because the strategic reserves and OPEC was filling that hole. Now they're not going to fill the hole. Now they're not going to fill the hole. So therefore, we're going to have a problem. We're not going to have the oil necessary. And when we don't have that oil necessary, as as we've talked about, yeah. you know, on the show before, you know, is is when we need it and we don't have it, prices are going to go up. Well, that is uh, certainly a, a chilling prospect. Uh, what can be done to fix it, Jay? Jay Young, oil and gas expert, and I, I'm just assuming you're going to say drill, baby, drill. Absolutely. I mean, we need to have our, our president behind us and, yes. and behind the oil and gas industry saying drill, baby, drill. He, he doesn't need to be talking about it because if he talks bad about oil and gas and nobody wants to do it, he's the leader of our country. I mean, he's the man, right? Well, if he talks about bad this, bad that, we don't drill it and we need it, prices are going to go up. You know, and kind of reminds me of, you know, John Kerry says, oh, well, we don't need oil and gas. You know, but he's in a jet, you know, with his widow. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and uh, sure, you know, he doesn't need it. He doesn't care. What's the difference in that? Not not anything major. So he doesn't need it. So we do need oil and gas here. We hey, do need oil and gas, and we don't have it. And that's that's going to be a problem for a long long period of time. Yeah, let's um, and, let's and, talk after the elections, Jay, and um, and and we'll get an update. We really like having you on and getting your uh, perspective. If anybody wants to get a hold of you or or find out more about what you do in your industry, where can they go? Yeah, great. King Operating, KingOperating dot com, Jay Young, KingOperating dot com, and uh, I wrote a book called The Upside of Oil and Gas Investing. You can get a copy of it at Amazon or. Apple or send me a send me a uh, email on our website and I'll send you a copy. No no problem at all. I want people to understand how to invest in oil and gas, but not only that is how how should you not invest in oil and gas? 
and also it's a little educational about my family and the and the oil and gas business. So go there and uh, let's talk. Let's talk in the, in two three weeks. Okay, Jay. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Bye now. All right, we got Tony Katz coming up here in just a little bit. We'll connect with him. We'll get his thoughts on the Delphi situation. We'll also get into a little midterm stuff. Uh, Tony Katz coming up here in just a moment. Right now, let's take a look at the news. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hey, Tony. Hey, Tony. Pretty boy. Tony. It's Tuesday with Tony Katz on the Hammer and Nigel Show. Don't want to keep Tony waiting. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here hooking up live with Tony Katz for Tuesdays with Tony. The uh, announcement yesterday, an arrest made in the Delphi murders. Uh, Richard Allen, 50 years old, local guy, charged with uh, two counts of murder. Your initial thoughts, there's a lot we don't know. And are you okay with the fact that there is still a lot that we don't know? For example... How long has this guy been on their radar? Uh, and if there are any other maybe suspects that are still out there? Um, n- number one, I, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't like the fact that so much of this is, well, we can't say this, well, we can't say that. I, I have my own concerns, uh, certainly. Certainly that um, that we, we are not, we, 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 don't, we don't have a conviction yet. So I'm going to be concerned until there is in in this case. I don't know why they have played it like this. I had uh, Doug Carter, superintendent of Indiana State Police, on the show yesterday uh, to discuss this. And and I, I like uh, Superintendent Carter. He's always been very, very good to me. I think he's a very uh, nice person. I think he's competent. But there's something in the translation of, of how the story has been presented that just... What is it? The, the, the what is it that we don't know has never more piqued curiosity uh, for me than in than in this story, and it's the whole thing is odd. So uh, I'm not I'm not well settled with it, and I'm not going to be settled with it until I uh, un, until we see a conviction. Should there have even been a press conference yesterday, Tony, or should there have just been a statement where, you know, Superintendent Carter comes up, we've made an arrest due to an ongoing investigation, we cannot take questions at this time, but we have somebody in custody, walks off. I think where people like myself, and from what I'm hearing, maybe a little bit of you, Tony, start getting bothered is that it feels like we keep having all these press conferences, but no information, no news. Yeah, uh, I think you could have done this. Looking back on it now, you could have done this with a statement that that a press conference wasn't necessary because they didn't give any information. Uh, the other side of that is if they had just given a statement, it would have been, why no press conference? What are they hiding? So <laughs> it, it, it's it's uh, damned if you do and damned if, if you don't, for sure, on, on that subject. Um, but you guys don't think a press conference was warranted because they did make an arrest and they did charge this guy with two counts of homicide. What's the point I think of the was, press conference if you can't huge, answer any questions? I'm, I'm just thinking it's still a huge, huge development in the case that an arrest had been made. Then put out a statement. And, and and by the way, so so what if you're both right? You know, I think that's where some people are. You could have done it. You didn't have to do it. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I just believe that people are absolutely unsettled. 
by what it is that they're hearing. Uh, really, really, really and truly. It's just something is off here, and we don't know what it is until we know what it is. It's Tuesdays with Tony Katz here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. Seven days away until the midterm elections. Tony, I'm a man that lives in Marion County. If Ryan Mears wins re-election in Marion County, what do you think the future of Indianapolis is? Well, I think the future involves one less Jason Hammer. I think you may be right. I think uh, he'll he'll be wow. he'll be moving. the The idea that it's all on the the prosecutor is is not I, I think acceptable. I, I, I want to move that a, a little bit. This is not a defense of Ryan Mears by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not I'm not defending what is indefensible in a lot of his positioning on on how to engage prosecutions. But if you have a city county council that remains silent, if you have a mayor that remains silent, if you have a press corps that doesn't demand any level of fixes, if you have a corporate culture that only wants to tell the General Assembly to stay out of our business and doesn't publicly engage serious conversations about the state of Indianapolis, if you have a press that will say, fix this now about RIFRA, but says nothing about violence and murder in our city, what else do you expect to happen? No pressure means nothing done. And this seems so much, so much like just covering for one another and getting through the thing to to uh, work within whether people want to call it woke ideology or whether it be uh, progressive politics, whatever the case may be, uh, as opposed to saying, you know what, we have a cultural problem here. We have to engage a fix. We have to be very honest with our constituents. And sometimes they won't like us for it. We don't care. It has to happen. Our issues are multifold. That said, uh, I'm you, you don't have me cheering on Ryan Mears at this stage of the game. What are you looking at nationwide, Tony? I mean, I think there's some really interesting races, gubernatorial, uh, also Senate races, I think. And what does it say that like a guy like Zeldin in New York is, is next? and neck with Hochul. What does it say? Yeah, that- I don't. So I got into this today on, on the show with Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com. I don't actually believe that he is neck and neck. I you understand don't? what that poll says, yeah. but the, the people also want to quote the New York Times Siena poll that talks about, look how well uh, Democrats are, are doing. Uh, they're not. They're not doing well. That poll is an outlier. If anything else, you got to take a look at an amalgam of polls. And so just utilizing one in this Zeldin Hochul case in New York is, is, I don't think, accurate. That said, I can think of no bigger race where if the Republican Lee Zeldin, the congressman, wins against the Democratic incumbent Kathy Hochul, there is no bigger race. It's an earthquake. Uh, Oz beating Fetterman, that will be big. Walker beating uh, Warnock, that will be big. Masters beating Kelly in Arizona, that will be big. Oh, undoubtedly. Vance beating Ryan, expected and big. Shabaka in Alaska beating uh, the the Republican Mitch uh, McConnell candidate in, in Lisa Murkowski, that will be big. All big. And, and, and proof of, my gosh, the left just does not connect with the American people at all. 
And you give me that race in New York? You yeah. give me Baldock, uh, the general, the running for for Senate against Maggie Hassan, the incumbent Democrat? He wins? That's the kind of thing that makes you say, dear Lord, what just happened here? Tuesdays with Tony Katz here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. I heard you talking about that article in, what was it, The Atlantic about COVID forgiveness? <laughs> what, uh, can you kind of break that down for us a, a little bit? Because I've seen that headline now a few times. Now, apparently, all the, the COVID crazies just want to drop everything, and, and we need to forgive, and we need to heal for the things that we said and did during the pandemic. Well, they need a reckoning for what they said and they did. Uh, conceptually, it's somehow this idea that we have to move on. And, and the author of this piece has written about mask insanity and other things before at, at The Atlantic. So the argument that some want to make is, well, look, she's been bothered, but she's trying to make a reasoned argument. Forgiveness is a very personal thing. And I'm not opposed to forgiveness. I think forgiveness is very, very important and very uh, important for the soul. You need to be able to engage forgiveness in your life so your life is better. That much is very, very true. It has to happen. Or, or I'd say, I, I, think, I think it's helpful that it happens. But you, I can't force it on anybody. And most importantly, the people who said you get a vaccine or you don't have a job, I don't have forgiveness for those people. Yeah. Now, maybe it's not for me to forgive. It's the person who had to get vaccinated in order uh, to keep their job. How do they forgive? It's up to them. Nurses, uh, um, uh, cops, firefighters, members of the military, get vaccinated or else. And now you want forgiveness? You have to wear a mask no matter what, and your kids have to wear masks while other people walked around without masks. You aren't allowed to go out to a restaurant while Gavin Newsom goes out to a restaurant. You aren't allowed to go to a hair salon while Speaker Pelosi goes to a hair salon. Forgiveness. No, there has to be a reckoning. Right. People have to admit what they did and how wrong they were. The people in Indianapolis who came after me because I said you cannot stop society to save society. And you know what I was told? Tony Katz is going to get people killed. Where's my apology? Right. Now it's it's indie media. There's never gonna be an apology from these people. They don't know they don't know how to do such a thing. But I don't feel the need to engage forgiveness. They have to need, have to be the people who engage changes in their lives and in their reporting. Yeah, That's we talked about this earlier in the show, Tony. I I admit, I may be a little bit more petty than most people here, <laughs> but you have to make these people pay. The people that wanted to lock up moms for taking their kids to parks, the people that called you a grandma killer, the people that wanted their kids to go back to school, now is the reckoning. Now is your chance to make your voice heard. I'm an eye for an eye guy, and you have that opportunity coming up here in seven days when you go vote. So people will uh, either uh, be like you or they will decide that they want to engage in, so, in some forgiveness. But I, if, if, you, if I'm being asked, the reckoning, it's got to be about the reckoning. What is coming up on the big shows tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, Republican candidate for Secretary of State Diego Morales will be with us. He'll actually be there in person? He, he will be on the phone okay. as I will be, and uh, we will have ourselves a chat. So you may want to tune in for that. He is on social media at Tony Katz. Facebook is Tony Katz Radio. TK, thank you. Thank you. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show.
It is the Hammer and Nigel show. We have an hour left coming up after 6 o'clock. More details on the arrest and the Delphi homicides. And we're going to hear from a family member of one of the victims. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. Hope everybody had an awesome Halloween. Now it's time to... To get physical, to get uh, to get moving, to work off some of that uh, pizza and beer and chocolate that I uh, inhaled last night. You know what I mean? It was an all candy diet last night. I'm not going to lie to you. It was all candy. That you? I mean, you did it up right at the Hammer household, right? You got this yeah. the sound system out in the. We're playing some thrillers, some Ghostbusters, nice. man, doing all the stuff. So, uh, speaking of exercise, you have to work all this off. There's a new study that finds that only two minutes of intense exercise can exp- extend your lifespan. 2 minutes two, a day? 2 minutes 2 minutes a day. So so really there I mean there's no excuse anymore. 2 minutes a day can extend your lifespan. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of this. We've been working about working this behind the scenes. We uh, the Hammer and Nigel show has a fitness division. Do we? We have a fitness division, and uh, there's a new gym that we have out there. It's called the Two Minute Gym, and uh, we we have a great instructor oh. for the Two Minute Gym. In fact, let's uh, go there live now. All right, let's start. Run in place. Run in place. Run, 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 run. All right, down on the floor. Push ups. Up, down, up, down. Now roll over. Crunches, 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 crunches. <laughs> now get back up. Hand weights. Out and in. Out and in. Out and in. Run in place! Run in place! Run in place! Run, run, run! Run, run, run! That's it for today. Great class, everybody. See you tomorrow. It's ZZZ, Hammer Nigel Fitness. That's it. I mean, I hate competing with uh, somebody I've been with for a long time, Exercise Inc. Actually, Exercise Inc. I would recommend more than... Right, our own fitness company, Exercise Inc. actually works. I got two minutes of walking in earlier. Now I walked over to Potbelly and got a big sandwich <laughs> yeah, and walked back. I but... noticed that it smells good over there. <laughs> oh man, man! Sometimes just a good old fashioned sandwich hits the spot. Potbelly's the bomb. It is. I- I'm glad they. I'm glad they stayed open. Right. At least. Potbelly closes. Yeah. We uh, we get the regulators together <laughs> and we start rounding people up at uh, noon tomorrow because that's unacceptable. What what got it? Uh, now the kids, your sons are old enough; they don't go trick or treating, right? They they're more just hanging out and dishing it out. Right. right. My oldest yeah. stays home and passes things out, and my youngest one, <clears throat> excuse me, he uh, he goes over and hangs out with some buddies, and mm-hmm. they you know do. Whatever they were doing. Did you do like did you do TPing and soaping and things like that when you were growing up in high school? No, not all? really. Do, 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 do kids soap anymore? The only TPing that I was a part of was after we won a big football game in high school and we TP'd our coach's house, but he thought it was awesome. <laughs> okay, there you go. We have an entire hour of the Hammer and Nigel show coming up uh, next, ninety three WIBC.